Okay, let's take Acts chapter uh, 17 as our text here tonight. Acts 17, as you find your place in the Word of God. Acts 17, the first nine verses is our text. Out of this series in the book of Acts, a church for His name. I know that we've been in Acts for about a year and a half now, I guess, or so, but it, it almost feels like we're going too fast. We're already to chapter 17. We surely shouldn't be this far, but here we are, and I'm enjoying it and studying it and um, just seeing what a difference that the gospel made, how powerful that the gospel was at that time, and certainly God recorded that, uh, what took place then, that you and I might be encouraged now what God can do through the gospel. Just like we heard as Brother, uh, Brother Rick gave testimony about the, one, the two saved there. And that causes all of us to rejoice. And that's what we're reading here is, is a report that Luke gave. He's saying, listen, this is what happened in Thessalonica. And he's rejoicing in that. So let's read about that here this evening. Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Where was a certain synagogue of the Jews? And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and rise again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. It's the ones your mama warned you about. That's for sure, no doubt about it. And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. And assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down have come here, are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason, or Baal, basically, when they had taken a security of Jason and of the, of the other, they let them go. And verse 10 just simply reports that the men, I'm sorry, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. May God bless the reading of his word as we consider turning the world right side up. Acts 17. 1 through 9. Turning the world right side up. I was a resident assistant, um, RA, of Third Floor Smith on the campus of Baptist Bible College. The year would have been 1996, and it was a floor of freshmen, young men, all of them. All freshmen. About 30 of them. I came uh, home to my uh, room I had there in the center of the, of the hall and found a note on my door. It said this, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. 
These are real spiritual guys. That might have been the only time they opened their Bible. Opened up my door and found everything upside down. My couch upside down. My chairs, trash can, books, bed, Angie's picture. That did it right there. That did it. Well, they took the verse literally, didn't they? Turned the world upside down. They, Paul, they accused rather Paul, Silas, and Timothy of turning the world upside down. Well, that word just simply means that they upset the city. They disturbed the world. They disturbed the city. They, they upset status quo. They upset status quo. They disturbed the peace. I want to submit to you tonight this proposition. We need to upset... Okay, focus. <laughs> this service, right? We need to upset this service. That's right. All right, here we go. Okay, we need to upset this city for Christ. What do you think? We need to upset. That was a planned illustration right there, right? <laughs> I love it. All right. We need to upset this city for Christ, upset our world. Now, that, that sounds like... I don't know, Brother Jason, should we do that? You're talking about disturbing the peace? Are you advocating that, that we disturb the peace, that we, that we upset the city, that we lead a revolt? <laughs> I've got God saying amen, all right. <laughs> a glaring problem for too many Christians is that they don't want to upset anybody. You believe that? I uh, read this week, along with some other men in the class um, that I teach there, The Saint Must Walk Alone by A.W. Tozer. It's a chapter that he wrote. He said this, The weakness of so many modern Christians is that they feel too much at home in the world. In their effort to achieve restful adjustment to unregenerate society, they have lost their pilgrim character. And become an essential part of the very moral order against which they are sent to protest. The world recognizes them and accepts them for what they are. And this is the saddest thing that can be said about them. That they're accepted with the world. Listen to this statement. They are not lonely, but neither are they saints. That's sobering, isn't it? They're not lonely. They've got all kinds of friends with the world, but they're not set apart unto God. You know, I believe uh, too often we end up trying to win the world to ourselves rather than winning the world to Christ. You believe that could be said? Well, I just said it. We could be guilty of trying to Win the world to ourselves. We want people to like us. We don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to disturb them. We don't want to wake them up. You know, they're 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 at their house, and we don't want to wake them up on a Saturday morning. We don't we don't want to bother them on a Tuesday night. We don't want to bother them other times. We want to just let them work by themselves. Hey, I'm telling you, God sent us here to disturb them. What? 
He sent us here to disturb them. You know, somebody disturbed your life. Somebody interrupted your life, and, I, and you're, you're here tonight, and I believe you're glad they did. Yep. You see, this missionary team, they came to Thessalonica, and they disturbed the peace. Now, I'm going to explain what that means. I, I, I want to say up front, I don't, I don't believe for one moment that means we ought to be obnoxious. And so, uh, by the end of the sermon here tonight, I hope that you get what, what, I, what I mean because it's, uh, what the text means. And, but it certainly says they, they disturb things around here. Well, they came to Thessalonica. They left Philippi as we were last week in Philippi. And, and they went about 100 miles south and southwest of Philippi to this city, this, this large city. In fact, it's the second largest city in Greece. Uh, it's a city that, that I, I read some estimates of 100,000, but then some that said 200,000. It's a large city. It's the capital of Macedonia, that region of the world. This would be the capital of one of the districts, but also the capital of that region. It's referred to as the metropolis of Macedonia. It's referred to by another, by a poet of that day and time as the mother of all Macedonia. It was a capital city. It was a free city. And, and thus it operated with autonomy and, and uh, operated with a Greek approach to, to government. But they were still loyal, still very loyal to Rome. Paul went through two other cities. We read of them, Epiphila, uh, that word, and Apollonia. He went through these two other cities, but he didn't really obviously spend any time there. It's almost like he was trying very purposefully, I believe led by God's spirit and leadership, to get to Thessalonica. I would say that he wanted to spend a lot more time in Thessalonica than what he was able to. You read the book of 1 Thessalonians, you see that they were taken away from them. They, they had to leave early. We read that they had to, had to escape and, and move on to the next city, Berea. But because this was a metropolis, because this was a city and there was a lot of people there, I believe Paul maybe had in mind we could plant a church there, churches there, and go out from there to the regions of Macedonia. That may be what he had in mind, and we don't always get to do what we have in mind. But you just keep going with the gospel. And so in any case, uh, he was there for at least three weeks, three Sabbaths, day, Sabbaths as we saw there. Uh, was it just three weeks that he was there? Some say yes, some say no, it's probably a little bit longer. If you put it all together, you gather from Philippians chapter 4, verse 16, that, that the, what Paul said, while I was in Thessalonica, you, referring to the, uh, uh, the uh, Philippians, almost <laughs> thinking about the Philippines, Philippians, not the same. The people from uh, Philippi sent, he says, once and again. In other words, they sent often. To help him, so it may be that he was there longer than three weeks, and and um, a church obviously was started, and and according to First Thessalonians chapter two, he worked night and day, and and so he established some business there. So it it may very well be he was there for over three weeks, but however long it was, it was it was really a short or shorter amount of time than what he intended. It was cut short. Paul, as his custom was, began in the synagogue, as we read, and says that he went there and he spoke to those that Jewish element, that God-fearing element. He's beginning as his, uh, his manner was, and the Bible says that he began to reason with them. Now, the verbs that are used here are very, very helpful if we'll pay attention to them. As you're concerned, and I'm concerned about trying to be a witness, a soul winner, look at the words that are used there in verse number 2 through 4. First of all, it says that he reasoned. You see that word? He reasoned with them. 
That means he addressed them. He took the opportunity to speak. Uh, opening. You see that word, that I-N-G word there? Opening. Opening uh, means to explain or interpret. In Luke 24, remember how that uh, Jesus opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, that he was the Christ. Remember that there in Luke 24? Opening, explaining. Alleging is our next word. Alleging, setting before, placing before, setting forth or demonstrating, pointing out. I'm just giving you some synonyms, some different ways of saying this. So he's reasoning, he took the opportunity to address them. He's helping them to understand by interpreting the scriptures, showing Christ in the Old Testament and and alleging he is bringing forth the evidence as a mighty lawyer would. He, Paul, is, is bringing forth the evidence. And the word literally means this. He is setting side by side. He is setting Christ, who Jesus is, right alongside of what the Bible says about Christ. And he's saying, see the life of Jesus. See what Isaiah said. See what the Psalms say. Perfect match. He's alleging. He's putting forth the evidence. He is saying that it shows us here in the Old Testament. Can you imagine Paul just turning to say uh, Isaiah 53, that Messiah would suffer, but that he would rise again and go into all the passages that would show that he had three Sabbath days. And he reasoned with them and he opened unto them the scriptures and he alleged, he put forth evidence showing that Jesus was indeed alive. And he could give his own personal testimony and say that I was a Pharisee and I sought to even kill Christians. I had nothing to gain. I have nothing to gain by telling you that, that Jesus is alive if he really wasn't alive. Listen, I was against Jesus, but I tell you, it changed my mind when I saw him alive. He could present the evidence to the person of Christ. The next word is preach. He preached unto them. He announced publicly. He set forward uh, straightforward evidence of who Jesus was. And thus, the Bible says, they believed. Did you notice that? They believed. Some of them, verse 4, some of them believed. The word believed there means this. Some were persuaded. It Listen, if they were persuaded... Doesn't that uh, indicate that Paul was being persuasive? So in our soul winning, is it not that you and I are to be persuasive, strong, convincing, opening the scripture? Hey, listen, it's not confidence in our ability to convince someone. We just need to let the scripture speak for themselves. But we must let the scripture speak. Opening, alleging, being persuasive, and thus some believe they were persuaded. And then I love this next word, they consorted. They consorted. That means they joined themselves unto Paul, Silas, Timothy. They joined themselves unto them. They attached themselves to them. They identified with these men. They, they really, uh, this would be the beginning of the church as they identified with Christ. No doubt there were baptisms that took place and, and the establishment of this church as Paul would write to them just shortly hereafter to the church that's at Thessalonica. They became a part of the group. Who became a part of the group? Some of the Jews did. Some of the Gentiles that were God-fearing did. Some of the prominent women did. As it says, did you see that? 
verse there, as it says, the chief women, not a few, as a society that had many women that were in governmental positions, and, and so some, even some of the chief women. Well, that made some of the other leaders envious. And thus, verse number 5 through 9, out of envy, the Jews stirred up trouble for this missionary team. Who did they turn to? Isn't this ironic? They turned to lewd fellows of the baser sort. Lewd fellows of the baser sort, as I studied it out, it meant this, people that were just hanging out at the market. They didn't have a job. They might have been day laborers. But they were really just, uh, as it says, of the baser. So, I mean, you can just tell by the way that sounds. Even if you didn't know what all those words mean, it just doesn't sound good. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. So they were bums. As I looked it up in a Greek lexicon, it had the word bums. I thought, man, I didn't know that was scholarly. <laughs> bums. Not to be a bum, but I mean that they used the word bums. So here they were. They got some bums together. (laughs) They got some loafers together. Some people who had a lot of time on their hands. Some people who maybe would would, uh, maybe get a job if they wanted to, but didn't really want a job. But they, one person put it this way, where they, they were worthless men from the streets. So here are these religious leaders coming to these worthless men of the streets these lewd men of baser sort, and saying, hey, you guys want to get paid some money? You ought to start a riot. Man, do we know how to start a riot. You want to get paid for it? Sure. Never been paid for starting a riot, but I'm pretty sure we could start one. So that's basically what they did. So they, they paid them to start a riot, evidently, and then they blamed it on the Christians. You get it? And so then they assaulted the house of Jason. Shame on them. Shame. He was hosting the team. Church maybe met in his house. But in any case, they came to him and said, these, they, hauled, they couldn't find Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So they grabbed Jason and other of the brethren and they hauled them in before the, the, the leaders of the city. And they said, these men that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. These men... As I looked up that terminology, it meant this, these men that have created a public disturbance, disturbance in other places. These men that have caused trouble. These men that have, have uh, caused trouble everywhere, as it says, uh, turn the world upside down. They're exaggerating just a wee bit, wouldn't you say? These men that have overthrown the world. Just a little bit dramatic. These men that have overthrown the world have come here also. They're leading a revolt. They're inciting a rebellion, as it, as it says there. They claim that there's another king. Now listen, this is getting serious now. Because in the Roman Empire, there's only one king, and it was Caesar. And these incite to lead a rebellion. They formed a mob. They're against the government. They want to overthrow the government. They say there's a king, only another king named Jesus. City rulers, they were troubled by those troublemakers. They said, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, look, just pay 
bail basically and ensure us that these folks that they say are causing trouble will leave town and we won't take any other measures. That's basically what it came down to. And that's what Jason ensured, and thus they, uh, Paul and Silas and, the, and uh, Timotheus, they, they fled and went to the next city. Now, I want to make it clear tonight that this missionary team, they were not doing what these men said that they were doing. They were not starting a riot. They were not trying to overthrow the government. But there's some truth to what they said about these men. All right? They were not trying to start a riot. In other words, Paul and Silas and the team, they were not being offensive in their demeanor. They were not being obnoxious. I don't believe for one minute that Paul and any of that team was being hateful. They weren't being hateful, my friend. Nope. They were not being unpleasant, and yet, yes, their, their message preached resulted in a, an assembly. But not a mob, but an assembly. They were not leading a crusade to overthrow the powers of Rome. They were not trying to set up a new king, no matter how wicked uh, the uh, Caesar was. They were not trying to overthrow that power, and yet their message, listen now, and yet their message resulted in loyalty to a new king, namely Jesus. And yet their new king, Jesus, through Peter and through Paul, would advocate praying for Caesar and praying for the powers that be and being, being faithful as, as citizens of a, of a certain government and, and being loyal there. Hey, that's what the new king would advocate. As much as life within you, live in peace with all men. They, listen, they were not... They were not, I'm talking about Paul and Silas, they were not taken to the streets crying out against the immoral conditions of their city. Though they had grounds to do so because immorality was rampant. Now, I'm not saying that they shied away from preaching the way of righteousness because that they did. But they did not go out and preach against the immorality of their city. But as they went and preached... Immoral people were saved and delivered from fornication and idolatry and adultery and homosexuality and criminal activity and drunkenness. So if they did not turn, if they did not go out or set out to turn the world upside down, what did they do that caused people to say these people have turned the world upside down. They've caused a civil disturbance. They've, they've upset our status quo. They've upset our religious status quo and our civil status quo and our political status quo. They've, they've disturbed the peace. What have they done? I'll tell you what they did. They did one thing. They preached Christ. And the preaching of Christ itself upsets the world. Without being demeaning, without being obnoxious in our ways. Hey, listen, just simply preaching the message itself is upsetting. Preaching Christ makes the world uncomfortable. Preaching Christ disturbs their way of living. 
It upsets their plans. It interrupts a person's way of thinking. Brother uh, Terry was just sharing with us in our deacons meeting here just a moment ago that uh, one of the, the parents that rode the bus said that that preaching that took place on friend day just messed up her thinking about God and some of the things in the Bible. That's good because people's thinking needs to be upset if it's not right. The preaching of Christ interrupts people's way of thinking. The preaching of Christ bothers people's in, people in their standard of morality. The preaching of Christ, listen to this, intrudes into the inner life of a person. Preaching Christ gets in the way of what people want to do. It annoys people. It meddles in their business. Do you know that he has made it your business and my business to meddle in other people's business? It unsettles their thoughts about authority. It gives them alarm rather than soothing their conscience. You know, you and I are here as an alarm. I'm sure that you would testify about that alarm clock that's going to go off tomorrow morning. You'd like to drop kick it. You'd like to power body slam it. You'd like to throw it across the room. You'd like to stomp it, smash it, tear it out of the wall. Isn't that right? You don't like the alarm clock. You with me? Snooze, snooze, snooze. Thing just keeps going off. It's annoying. It's disturbing. It messes up my peace. It's meddling in my business. But you know, you and I are called to be exactly that way. You're there at that workplace and God has put you right beside somebody and they may look at you. Now, if you're being annoying just because you're annoying, stop it. Stop it. Stop, stop being annoying. If you're just annoying and obnoxious as a person, stop it, please. Help the world be a better place. Stop it. Okay. That wasn't in my notes. 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 Yeah, notes either. <laughs> but if they're annoyed, or if they're upset, or if they're disturbed, or if they're uneasy and uncomfortable, not because you're weird, and not because you're loud, and not because you're mean, but if they're a little bit uneasy because you share Christ, then you go right ahead. Because their world needs to be turned upside down. Is it possible that the world is too comfortable with our style of Christianity? Because we're saying nothing? I believe we need to be a friend of people. I believe we need to live a life before people. But listen, he's not called us just to live before people. He's called us to say something with our mouths. It's not just lifestyle evangelism. Listen, you need to have a life that is, that is right, but you've got to take it further than that. Yeah, the world can continue being comfortable and easy as long as you and I are not saying anything. But it's when we begin to speak of Christ that they get uncomfortable. Could it be that the worst sin of the Baptist church is that we're too silent about the greatest person? It's possible that we could sing of Christ in here and never say a word about him out there. 
It's possible that a teacher could teach about him in a Sunday school class and yet never say anything to anybody out there. It's possible that you could be faithful every single Sunday, every single service, never ever miss, and yet never say anything about who Jesus is to your friends and families and neighbors and co-workers and people that desperately need to hear the message, my friend. I believe God has called us to upset some people. I'm not advocating, as I've already said two times, this is number three, advocating being an obnoxious in our style of Christianity. We're not here to start a riot. We're not here to lead a revolt against the government. Though sometimes, nope, we're not here to do that. We're not here to lead a revolt against the government. We're, listen, listen very carefully to this next statement. I don't want you to misunderstand it. We are not here to teach the lost morality. We cannot teach them morality. They're lost. They have a nature that is a sin nature. They can't do moral things. They can't do righteousness because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God living within them. We're not here to teach them morality. If they, if they could be moral apart from Christ, they don't need Christ. But if we can lead them to Christ and he saves their soul, then we can teach them morality. I'm not saying that we don't say anything and, and we don't take a stand. No, I believe that we do. But what I'm saying to you is, listen, we can't get the cart before the horse. We've got to lead them to Christ first and then they learn to be right. And part of them being right maybe would be you and I being salt and light in a wicked world that is perverse in its ways and, and its decisions and, and standing out and being different. And they might see, man, there's something different there. And they know that there's something wrong with it. Hey, listen, all that could be a part of them being convicted by the Holy Ghost. But we're not here to make them good people. We're here to show them they're not. And they don't want to hear that. They want to hear that I'm okay. They want to hear that everything's fine. They want to hear that, that God's just going to forgive everybody. They want to hear niceties. But what they desperately need to hear is that you've broken the commandments of God and you are accountable to God and God will hold you into account. You're going to spend eternity somewhere, my friend. They've got to hear that message as offensive as it may be, as disturbing as it may be, as much as it may cause their peace to flee. Listen, we must preach the full message of peace for them to have real peace. But in the process, they're going to get a little bit uncomfortable. And sometimes, let's just be honest, that makes us uncomfortable. Because they're uncomfortable. But I'd much rather me be uncomfortable than for them to spend all eternity without one ounce of comfort. We preach Christ. We're here for the same reason that Paul, Silas, and Timothy was there. So if we're here for the same reason that they were there, should we not carry out the mission with the same zeal that they had? Should we not sacrifice like they sacrificed? Should we not pray like they prayed? Have suddenly we figured out a way that can get this job done without prayer? Shouldn't we go like they went? Bended knees and lazy legs don't go together, one individual said. Bending knees, talking about praying for the lost, and lazy legs don't go together. Hey, if you pray for them, you need to go to them. Both. Now, you need to start with prayer, but you got you to go. you got to go. 
Should we not put the message of Christ before them? Should we not open to them the scriptures? Should we not present evidence that Jesus is the Christ and that he was risen, that he's risen again? Should we not announce the message and that publicly? Should we not persuade? I said persuade others that they might believe. Should we not follow up on them? Should we not this be our life's very work? I present to you tonight that it ought to be. Church is not a place just simply to attend. It's a base from which to go into the battlefield. We cannot wait for the world to come to us to share Christ. We must go from here to share Christ with the world. I thank God for every soul that came on Friend Day. I thank God we had so many uh, guests here today. I thank God for that. I wrote down nine different names of visitors on my prayer list that I met out there in that foyer. Hey, listen, by the way, you need to be meeting people just right here. You can do a lot of your visitation just right here and, and talk to folks and get down their names and pray for them and learn them so that they could feel welcome here. Hey, listen, we can do just a lot of work right here. But I know this to be the truth, that there's a lot more people out there than what there were that came here this morning. We can't wait for them to come to us. We've got to take it to them. I tell you the truth, David and Sharon never would have been saved, Brother Rick, if somebody didn't go there. And that same message could be the truth on so many different lives. What if you were lost? I heard Bailey Smith preach this message uh, uh, just recently, a, a tape or a CD and such. What if you were lost? What, think about that this, this evening. What if you were lost? Wouldn't you want somebody to come to you? And if everybody witnessed just like you witnessed, how long would it take for somebody to get to you? Would you ever hear? I'm, I'm just saying, if it totally depended on you, and your, your style, your way of evangelism, and your way of soul winning, would people hear? We're not out there just to invite them to church. We're out there to invite them to Christ. You say, Brother Jason, this is a little bit disconcerting. This is a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I think we need to be uncomfortable. I believe God needs to stir us up sometimes. Get our attention to say, hey, remember what you're here for. This is not a social club. I'm so glad to God in heaven to be part of a church that's running a bus ministry. Bus ministry costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of workers. But I'm so glad to be part of a church that's running buses, trying to bring in people that need to hear the gospel, that keeps, us, keeps our feet out there on doorsteps. Hey, I'm telling you, I'm thankful for that. And let's just keep going. I'm so glad, man. I'm, I love our church. We've got a great opportunity right here. Somebody might say, well, I just don't want to disturb anybody. They have their beliefs. I have my beliefs. We'll just leave it alone. That's the problem. Yes, sir. Right. We're leaving too many people alone. Right. Yes, he believes, she believes that all religions hold equal value. Yeah, and they'll believe that going to hell. Well, their family has been in that religion for years and years and years. I mean, it's like part of their culture. Yeah, and they'll go to hell with it. We've left too many people alone. We need to interrupt their thinking with the message of Christ. Christ has made it our business to get in their business as far as the, the business of their soul. The lost world needs to be disturbed. You and I need to be like an alarm going off saying this, Jesus saves! 
Jesus saves. I'm not saying going into your workplace and start shouting that out. Do you understand what I'm saying? But your life and your testimony and your witness to them ought to say that. And they may push snooze on you and push snooze. Are you with Are you with me? They may put you off and turn you off and turn you off and put you off and put you off and put you off. But eventually they're going to say, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'll wake up. I'll come to church with you. I'll listen to you. We need to care enough to keep going off. Because instead of them turning the world upside down, coming to Christ actually sets things right side up. When they come to Christ, he sets their beliefs right. He sets their affections right. He puts their morals right. He puts their home right. He puts their hopes right. He puts their way of life right. I believe it's time that we as Southwest Baptist Church turn the world upside down. And actually, by that, turn it right side a few years ago, there was a student that did a summer internship out in New York City, and he was just working there and, and, and breaking apart, you know, something that needed to be thrown away from the church. And in the process of doing that, as he was breaking this big piece of furniture apart, and it was just needed to be moved on, I forget the full context of the story, but somehow something slipped and he hit his tooth. And I believe it was his bottom incisor or something like that, or maybe the top, I'm not sure. But in any case, his tooth came out, one of those sharp teeth. So he took his tooth back and was wondering, (laughs) this is not funny, I'm sorry. (laughs) Took his tooth and was, they said, you know, we think we can put that back in and save it. And, And so they put his tooth in and like did something to secure it. But he said, you know, something's just, something still hurts. It's not good. Went to another place, I believe it was. I believe he went to two different places and they couldn't, you know, figure out what was wrong. And finally he went to another place. They looked at his teeth, looked at his tooth. They said, young man, somebody has put your tooth in upside down. (laughs) So they took it out, turned it around, put it back in. I think at that point he got a little bit of relief. Kind of like, ah. That's a lot better. Okay, kind of a gross story. I'm sorry. You know, the sad truth is this. A lot of people, things upside down in their life. Their morality's upside down. Their finances upside down. Their work world upside down. I'm telling you, they're living a chaotic life. They might go to get help here and go to help there. And the sad thing is sometimes they go to churches. And those churches don't really help them. But we want to be the type of church that says, you know, if you get Christ in your life and you have him in your life in the right place, I'm telling you, it'll make a difference. You get things set right. We're here to turn the world upside down, which really means we're here to set the world right. But we can't do that in our own power, can we? We must do it by opening this gospel truth in the power of the Spirit and letting God do the work. That's how you were saved. Let God use you to be one who will help others have a right allegiance to the King of Kings and have their life that's all upside down, have it set right. Father, we thank you tonight. for a team of missionaries who came in and by the 
accusation of others disturb the peace. But, but by breaking the silence and by sharing Christ, people were saved. A church was planted. The work of the gospel extended because some were willing to upset the status quo. Father, I confess to you that even as a church, we can become complacent. We can feel like everything's okay, like we're doing a good job or that we've reached enough people or whatever can go through our minds. just set us to a place of being lazy with the gospel. But I pray, dear God, that you might stir us up, Lord. Now, you've been stirring me up here for a good while and I sure want to be the gospel witness that you want me to be personally. And then to lead our church to be a soul-winning church, dear God, with the goal of being obedience, not just simply growth, but obedience unto you because we believe truly that you are the risen Savior who can make the difference in a person's life. Pray that you raise us up as soul winners, dear God. Lord, this week, would you help us to interrupt somebody's life with the gospel in a kind and yet firm and convincing way, graciously, mercifully, help us to share Christ with a heart of compassion and a love for that soul, not just trying to get another person signed up or anything like that, but because we genuinely care. Oh, God, help us to have the heart of our Savior towards the lost, I pray. Some, God, have not been obedient to you in trying to be a witness. I pray that you'd help them to begin following you and you would make them a fisher of men. Please, God, help us, Lord, tonight. And if there's somebody here that's lost, would you help them to come and let someone take a Bible and show them how that they can be saved, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.